We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With a message for my people. Nick Dab, baby. We the new label. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now this the black sheep sticking it to him. I need a crib like I'm Gatsby. I need it in hand, just understand my pockets that deep. With nothing to prove, I ain't got nothing to do. And it can't compete, and I got nothing to lose. You see, they told me I'm the one that's gonna benefit. Never been a threat, talking out of line, but never let me interject. Cause in a sense, I ain't spiteful enough, decisive enough. They living off the hype in a cycle they trust. Got it shining in the back of the club. Some red dreads, guess they trying to live that life for the blood. Let it Dude, I am so happy that you're in here because I've told you this on the occasions that I've ran into you to do your show on VSIN, First Strike. You've become a friend of mine now, someone I definitely look up to, someone whose work I actually really enjoy. That's awesome. Even prior to meeting you and knowing anything about you, I got Dave Ross in the building, First Strike host, part of VSIN, and a veteran. Yes. Marine Corps, six years. I, I'm, look, the gray hair gives it away, Nick. right? So you already know, and I appreciate those words. It's very nice. And I, I really do like that. That's why I do what I do. I, I really want it to be fun. I want it to be informative, but really I hope people, if you listen to First Strike, or if you watch on VEASAN or wherever you might catch me, that at the end of the time there that you've spent, you kind of walk away, hopefully with a smile on your face and hopefully a little bit smarter in the space that we're in. But uh, by the way, it goes, it's mutual. When you come on first strike with us, I feel smarter after the segments too. So you're never. I don't get that often. I don't think people <laughs> just definitely sound smarter often, but well, you know I appreciate but that. That's the thing. Like it's an inexact science, right. right? Of what we do, certainly in mixed martial arts. But I do feel like, shout out to my first strike guys, right? Like every week they're putting in the work to really try to educate the gambling public um, on what we think we can do. The only thing that we can really do is try to find the best of the numbers, uh, certainly in the MMA space or, or any space in gambling. Uh, parlance. And then you kind of hope it goes the way that you've kind of, you know, closing line value. People talk about it all the time. It doesn't mean anything if you lose the bet eventually, right? But what you're trying to do is put yourself in position that more often than not, you're going to be on the right side of the line moves. That's all, all we're trying to do. And I think you do a great job handicapping, uh, not just obviously when you're on with me on first strike, but that's what our guests do each and every week. And I would say the people that watch and listen to First Strike, they've figured that out over the last year and a half that we have some of the sharpest minds on there each and every week. No, for sure, man. And I think one of the reasons why I really gravitated to you when I first discovered about your show is that there are not a lot of people that really do MMA betting mm -hmm. and at a high level. 
And when I first saw that, because I've been familiar with VSAN for for ages now, and especially being out in the in the East Coast, growing up in New York City, I would always say how VSAN is is this is the Disneyland of <laughs> no the ESPN I should say of like. The degenerates, yeah. you know, the, the degenerate pieces of shit. And I mean that in the most, in the best way. <laughs> in ever, a loving way. In a loving way, right? Because that's that's who I am too. Like I have a friend of mine. He's like, dude, you're such a piece of shit. You like to gamble in bed. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that's exactly. Kind of, kind of fun. You're my kind of people, you know? Like anytime <laughs> you see these guys recently, I think a couple of players from the Lions got suspended yeah. for, for gambling. I was like, damn, that sucks for them. But it's good to know they're one of us. It is. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was in locker rooms for decades in Washington, D.C. And, you know, talking about what you're talking about with Jameson Williams and some of the other Lions this week, the big news breaking, uh, that they're going to be suspended indefinitely. You know, whenever you go into an NFL locker room, it's right there on every yep. stanchion. It's, you know, no gambling, no guns. These things that you kind of think are self-evident, they're up there for a reason. And now that the NFL, and I'm glad they have, embraced gambling. It's not going to be lessened. It's, it's going to go up, right? So they really now need to have the, the look of impropriety. Like we are not going to allow our employees right. to have even the hint that something untoward could happen in a game. Because the only thing that could really stop this, and they've talked about this for decades with the NFL, is somebody throwing a game. That's the worst fear of any gambler, right? You lose a bet, you lose a bet. If it's on the up and up, you really don't care, yeah. right? But if you lose a bet and you feel like, Oh my God, well, what was that? This guy is selling right yeah, now, yeah. That, that's the problem. It's, that's why the league, and I know a lot of people, even I go, wow, seems harsh, right? But that's why the league is coming down with, with the, like the hammer of Thor to say, you guys can't do this. And we've made this very aware and it's ever omnipresent in every locker room that you just can't do this as an employee of our league. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating that that needs to be a conversation that they have because you know you would say duh, obviously don't right. gamble, but now and I was doing this as you were talking about the NFL now embracing it. It's like, dude, the bottom line is massive. Almost every team has a sports book that they're affiliated with, or arenas have it, basketball courts on the side. You right see, the you arena. see all the apps over there, and. It's, it's always the bottom line, right? If they're going to be able to market themselves and make more money off it for the longest time, I would say the only reason why people are watching the Jaguars and Titans game on Thursday <laughs> night football is because it's either your fantasy football team or you took the under, which you probably would have took the under in, the, in that heyday. But that's, that's a big appeal. Why? And, it is. And we couldn't be naive to it. And for the longest time, the NFL was. A lot of these sports leagues were. And it was so funny that the NFL was so against it. You couldn't even mention the point spread. Now they have a team in Vegas. Amazing. And they have almost every team, like we mentioned, is affiliated with a sports book. And it's one of the reasons why you are the number one sport in the country. Well, you know, I mean, obviously at working at Visa now, Brent Musburger, you know, began Visa, right? Yeah. And, and I am, by the way, in the tank. Whenever I have a show and I hear Brent Musburger mention my name, I get chills. I'm like, this is the Godfather. Yeah. Right. And so growing up, I mean, I would like, if my parents tried to take me to church and I'm 10 years old, I'm like, I got to be back at noon on the East Coast because I got to hear Brent Musburger say, you're looking live, it's sold out RFK Stadium or Texas Stadium or whatever it is. And there was, there was always a nod to gambling from when I was 10, I can remember, right? Jimmy the Greek yeah, would be on there and they would do a checklist, right? And the last one was intangibles. And that was the way of saying, should you take the points or you should lay the points? Or, or the best thing they would do is 
you know, it's a seven point line. Yes. They wouldn't say that they're going to cover. They would say, oh, I see this being a two score game. Right. Or a clo- you know, closer than people expect. Yeah. I can see this being a field goal. You're like, <laughs> all right, take the plus seven there. But if it's going to be a two score game, maybe, you know, you lay the seven. So they would have, like you said, like the intangibles, they would have these buzzwords the way yes. Al Michaels notorious for saying, oh, that touchdown helped a couple people, huh? Now this game really is over, yeah, you know, yeah, things yeah. like that. It was always a wink and a nod. And now that it's come out and it's like, now it's just in plain view. That's why the league has to be very transparent about this stuff. So again, I think a lot of people are saying, wow, these penalties seem harsh. This is the reason why, because you already mentioned it. It's all about the money. Right. And now the league can afford these ridiculous contracts. Part of that influx of money has been when they really embrace sports gambling. I worked at the United Center for years in Chicago before I moved out here and started with VEASAN. And now, our old studio overlooked, we could look at the Michael Jordan statue. Now you could go to the United Center, as you were mentioning, and go check out MJ and then go place a bet on the game. Blackhawks or Bulls. That's how much it's changed. And that's in the last three years. Yeah. I mean, this is really the beginning of it, right? Like people think, wow, now it's, no, this is just, it's taken off. I say it's about 15% of what it's going to become. Yes, I think it's a good number to put it at. Even in the space that we're in, Yeah, I think we're still just scratching the surface of what this is. And you think about it, I think now the number is at around 33 states have some sort of legislation legislation mm-hmm. to allow you to either, maybe you have to physically go to a casino, maybe you have to have an app, maybe it's only online, but now it's over 30 states. And you still don't have Texas, you still don't have Florida, you still don't have Cali, which Ooh. those are going to be needle movers for sure. No doubt. And I can't remember what the prop number was in California, but basically, you know, that was a big deal and yeah. they voted it down. Now it's democracy. So you can, if that's the way that the people choose, I'm still surprised that some of those bigger states that you mentioned have not gotten on board. I do think it is a matter of time. Yeah. I, I, eventually the revenue that the states can make And I know even Vegas, I think, was concerned initially about, wow, with all these states, states, states laws, right, allowing for the majority of now the states to have sports gambling. I think they thought this is going to hurt our bottom line. I don't think it will. It's it's grown exponentially. And I think the people out here have realized, okay, yeah, you can do it still your way. It's still Vegas. It's still Vegas. If people want to come to Vegas, they want to come for the Final Four. They want to come for March Madness. They want to come for the Super Bowls. They want to come for the big events. And that money still pours in, even though you could probably go to your, again, United Center in Chicago and different places across the country and make your own wagers without having to come to Vegas. But I don't think it will ever slow down the capital in Las Vegas. No, for sure. And also, I, I saw it firsthand because it was New Jersey that first opened up the floodgates. And then once it got into New York, immediately, we were talking about the bottom line before. I was featured in a documentary about the legalization of sports betting in mm. New York City and what it was going to do to the, you know, the bookie at the bar, right. what it was going to do for New Jersey, because New Jersey had it first. And Dave, I, I, I used to take every Saturday mornings, uh, my, my buddy boss, we call him boss, his name is also Nick. He used to be one of the guys on, on the show with me. We would drive in the morning. He would work an overnight shift. So he'd pick us up at around seven, eight o'clock. We drive into the Vince Lombardi road, which was like a pit stop. Right when you got out of the George, uh, no, was it? It was the Lincoln tunnel. It was the first. So now the location wow. services, you're in Jersey. And we'd pull in there and we put in our bets and then we'd loop back around. We did this every Saturday, especially for UFC cars. You are cars. dedicated to the game, my friend. 
And especially out there, they were giving you all these bonuses and you're like, you know, you gotta take, you gotta take advantage of these things. And then what that documentary featured that I was in was that close to a billion dollars was the, the revenue that New York state was making immediately because now all those people like me, I never went back into Jersey once I was able to do it in New York. But it's always going to be Vegas. No doubt. And again, you're still going to want to come to Vegas to experience the betting capital of the world. Absolutely. And again, it's it's such a true uh, moniker. Like one of our shows, Mitch Moss and Paulie Howard do a great job on follow the money. You just follow the money. Yeah. And once the states that are not in bed yet with sports gambling realize the revenue that they're missing out on because of people like you and Boss that did that every day, eventually they will come around. I will be stunned. If we're not sitting here in seven years and 2030 and it's legal in every state. I mean, I, I think that we're, we're, the impetus is there. The ball has been moving. And I think once other states realize that oh, it's, it's not the, the fears and concerns that maybe they were made out to be and that the states are getting all the revenue that they really can't, they can try it other ways. This is an easy way for states to gain that revenue. You're going to see it everywhere. And especially with it happening already, right? It was the giant elephant in the room it that was. people just walked around and ignored. Yeah. But it's like, dude, so many people are doing this. And again, and bookies aren't even out of business. But again, that was the idea, right? We're taking it out of the shadows. And we're not going to make you have to go, you know, to your local tavern or whatever and see what you can get down with on with your man there, right? You can just do this legally. And whenever the government can step in and tax it and get their cut, they're going to do it. And I always would tell the stories about Anytime you would see some scandal where point shaving or someone is throwing the game, the sports books are the ones that identify these. That's things. right. They're Arizona State, out. they're like, oh, hold on. Why this are looks, all these this looks weird? Why are all these kids just <laughs> dropping ten and fifteen thousand dollar bets on every ASU game? And it's so random because the game wasn't even on TV and they would watch the bottom line, scroll through the sports books. They're the ones that police it. Yeah. So it was only a matter of time, but I do want to, uh, before we get into some of the things I want to talk about, your love for sports betting. Oh, how'd, that, uh, how'd that come about? Okay. I love your degenerate stories about, you know, doing the drive with boss every day. My thing was I had a football notebook when I was a kid and I kept it every single year. Now I'm talking as a teenager. And I remember the first wager I think I ever met, met uh, bet was 1987. The Vikings were playing the Niners, Joe Montana years, and they were getting seven in Candlestick. I took the Vikings. Didn't work out very well. I kept a track of all the bets I made in the 80s. And uh, boy, you realize quickly, this is a hard game. This is not, they're not throwing out cookies out there and, uh, you know, fastballs for you to knock out. This is really tough. And I learned that at a young age. And that was all NFL, right? Mm. So MMA certainly was something that came much later. But I'm glad it's come because, it, to me, the NFL is still the toughest to, to wager on. Without uh, question, right? the hardest. Yeah. It's the most popular, and people think it's the easiest. Couldn't be more wrong. No, it's the books, because the public is so now advanced, right. right, in their kind of, their the way they consume the NFL, is absolutely the hardest to wager on. But because we have such an addiction with pro football in the NFL, specifically, I oh, know yeah. you're going to talk about that, it, it, that's why it's so hard. You're very rarely going to get really good value on a number, unless you act quickly once they come out on say a Sunday night uh, before you get into the week, because they're going to tighten those babies up as the week goes. I think MMA, there's still areas where you can find real advantages, which I think we, we've talked about before, certainly on First Strike and Beyond. 
because it's not as, it's getting more and more popular, but it's not oversaturated yet. And it's still relatively fresh in comparison to the other sports. Yeah. Like the UFC just had their 30 year anniversary, right? Think about that where you know, I'm 32. I'm about as old as like the UFC is in a way, right? And I just think that it's becoming more and more popular with the with ESPN picking it huge. up. That was a huge deal for them. Dana White always talks about that. But with the UFC, I think it's my it's become my favorite sport to bet on. It's probably the sport that I have the most success in. Yeah. And NFL, it's the biggest false narrative is that it's easy to bet on. Oh god. Cuz you hear that from a lot of people. Dude, the amount of the amount of friends that I have, Dave, that when in 2022, January, around week, week 18, I remember it was the Rams-Niners game. Mm -hmm. That week was when all the apps went live in New York. All of them. And all my friends immediately screenshots of their parlays. Oh, dude, I've been waiting for this to happen. I'm like, all right, just, just yeah, go ahead. Just, just be, be patient and uh, be careful. Because <laughs> this is, I, ha I have a theory that everyone always hits their first parlay. Oh, and then it's like that that you, that sugar rush. You keep looking for it. You're reeled yeah. in, and they got you. Yeah, it it is. And I remember, by the way, going back to the UFC. I worked at Fox in DC for 18 years at the local affiliate there. And uh, they think about this: Dave Schauer, who now runs the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, great guy. Dave calls in probably 2011, 2012, somewhere in that vicinity. Calls me up in my office and says, "I I know you're the fight guy there in DC because I'm big. Bo I was a boxing guy." For years, decades. I mean, that's what I loved first and foremost. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I was just getting into the UFC in the late 2000s. And he goes, hey, I'd like to bring by a fighter if you'd like to talk to him. I go, sure, who is it? He goes, John Jones. Wow. And I go, oh, heard of him. Right? And my co-host, Lindsay Murphy, she's sitting there going. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, John Jones? Yeah, yeah, I can. we'll make time for John. So they bring me John Jones, and Lindsay and I ends up doing, we do the, the interview together at uh, Ben's Chili Bowl, very famous place where all the presidents go. In D.C., and it was like that. They, they were, I used to get Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey. They're pushing them on the media because it was not a known commodity. Today, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. That's how much it's grown. And Fox had the UFC for a while. Then when the contract switched, it went to ESPN. Look, it's still the worldwide leader, right? Without Whether a doubt. you love them, hate them, whatever, there's, there, there, there's a vehicle there. So I think guys like Dana White, think of them, whatever you want to think of them, he's done a masterful job getting this into the mainstream, even, and you know this, in New York. Remember? Oh, yeah. You can't fight in New York. This is barbaric. Yeah. Now they're doing big-time shows at Madison Square Garden. The first, the first sanctioned MMA show was a Bellator event, and I went to that. Matt Mitrione, wow! he came out with the New York Giants yeah, jersey, and he threw it into the crowd, and we almost caught it. But one of my buddies, the, the guy that got me into jiu-jitsu, Sergio Da Silva, he, he opened that card, too. Wow. So it was, yeah, and this is what, 20, 2015, 2016, around there. And think about it now. Now you've, yeah. you've had Connor fight there, you know, the, the Dolly incident with the, yeah. you, 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 GSP came out of retirement, right. Michael Bisping the there. The November card for them in MSG has become a staple. It's, it, it, I would argue, Dave, that outside of International Fight Week yes. in Vegas, it is like their landmark holy shit, we need to stack this yeah. card. It's New York City. It's the Garden. Like you said, Connor, Usman, and Covington had battles there. Great war. Pereira and Izzy, the first one. I was pissed because I was here for that. And I'm usually, <laughs> at, I, I've, been to, I've been to all the MSG cards. Wow. Dave. But that, that's what we're talking about, even with sports gambling, right? The yeah. way that things change. They fought it for a long time. And once they embraced it, 
Now it's a huge deal yeah. for New York City, Madison Square Garden, whenever they do the annual event there. It's just always a massive card. So none of this is going away, people. I tell people, like, you know, I, I'm kind of the old boxing guy that became a UFC guy. There's a, it's a big tent. I, I'm not kicking anybody out. You can, you can all come in and the water's still warm. I feel like that might be a little rare because I know boxing fans that are against the UFC. They don't like it. They yeah. want the traditional. Barbaric. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, it's also such a different, it's just a different sport because people to this day still don't under, understand the ground game and right. the wrestling and, oh, come on, dude, get up. It's like, man, let me just lay on top of you now as a blue belt and just have you try to get up, right? Well, now, let's factor in. You've ate 150 strikes. You were 14 minutes into the fight. You're exhausted, dude. You think that fighter just wants to lay there? Right. And it's like, get up. It's like, I want to. I Nick, really want to. I, I, when I look back, even on my childhood, grew up in Virginia Beach after we moved down from New York. And I used to go to a gym called Waring's Gym. This is in the mid-80s. And I used to go in, pronounce Sweepy Whitaker, God rest his soul. Sweepy, world champion, lost to Oscar De La Hoya, a very contested fight back in San Antonio. Everybody, everybody knows Sweepy won that fight. But- Part of my training as a young boxer, well before I ever joined the Marine Corps, was to go in and watch the world champion. And I had access every Saturday. I would be on the ring apron and watch him move to public enemy on, on the boom box and the rhythm. That, like that, that's boxing, right? The sweet science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some guy named Evander Holyfield came in the gym and Meldrick Taylor came in. And I'm watching these Olympians from 84 in my gym. That was part of my upbringing. That's how close I was to the sweet science. So some purists look at it and go, that's boxing, mm. right? This MMA, what is this? You just alluded to it. I call it, it's human chess, right? But now we get to use jujitsu. We get to use wrestling. We get to put in all these other disciplines of fighting. And that's why I think it's, to me, it's just so intriguing on a week-in, week-out basis. We just saw it on, on Saturday with Sergey Pavlovich against Curtis Blades, who I know Curtis very well from our Chicago days. And Curtis decided to not use the one discipline. Where he has the clear advantage. Huge over advantage. Yeah. And I'm not going to wrestle. And he get knocked out in the first round. Like, that stuff. That's why I think John Jones is the greatest mixed martial arts artist I've ever seen. And, and talking to John back in 2012 or whatever it is when I did that interview, he would, he would tell me, like, it was after the Gustafson fight. And he's like, you know, I just, I want to beat the guys at what they're best at. And I go, that's crazy. Like, I want to beat Daniel Cormier at wrestling. At wrestling, yeah. Like, that's when you know you're wired differently. What boxer goes in there and says, like, I want to slug it out with George Foreman? But you normally, you want to figure out a way to make this the easiest pathway to victory. Some of these men and women are built differently. And they actually want to do it the toughest way. Blades tried it. He failed. Connor, like, I, I think even Ronda Rousey, you want to go back then? Once oh, yeah. you fell in love with knockouts, well, then you're going to fight Amanda Nunes as a striker? Well, how or, that? or Holly Holm. Holly yeah, Holm yeah, yeah. is a kickboxer. How is that going to work out? So like these men and women, I, I just you got to be a little bit wired differently anyway. But some of the really best that we've ever seen, that really is their mentality. I want I want you to do whatever you do the best, and I'm gonna beat you at that. Oh, Usman was like that, and then he gets caught with, with the head kick, and that kind of hey, changes everything for him. Fight, yeah, right? yeah. You see, you see it often. It's 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 fascinating that you say that because the more as you were talking about that, I'm running fighters through my head. Amanda Nunez, she likes to beat you. She beat Holly Holm in, in a kickboxing MMA right. fight, right? Yeah. She submits girls that are all world jujitsu champions. And then 
it's it's fascinating, man, because it's not always the most optimal route you should take. Right? No. Like you said with Blades. That's why the Blades fight was so easy for me to handicap. It was Pavlovich round one or two because he never wins a fight after that. Or you take Blades later on. You just nailed it, Nick. And this is exactly what I wagered on talk about last week on First Strike. I played Pavlovich at plus fifty. That number came way down. So you got the best of the number there. Then I played the over one and a half plus forty Because my thought process was, Unlikely scenarios, Blades gets out Sergey in the first round, right? right? If he wins, it's going to be a longer matchup, gets into the gas tank, right? Which we saw Alistair Overeem do in his UFC debut. We really haven't seen it since. Or it's going to be Sergey round one. So I could have gotten a little bit more gutsy and taken Sergey round one. I didn't do that. I just took him outright. But still profitable because I think what we try to do, and you knowing the fight game the way you do, and certainly me and my guests that I have every week, we're finding those pathways to victory where you can make plus money instead of weighing. You keep weighing big numbers, you're going to get burned. In any scenario, whatever, pick your sport. You keep weighing those big numbers, eventually one's going to backfire and then your bankroll gets to put you weigh a 280 favorite. Do the math. Yeah. I got to win three fights at even money, try to get back that 280 I just lost. So we're, what we try to do is find those pathways. And that was a really astute one on Sergey early or Blades late. That's my favorite way to bet the UFC. I... You understand this because you're in this field and, and you understand betting. But when people ask me, who's going to win this fight? Dave, when a fight gets announced, in my head, I already know who's going to win. From there, what I do is I look at the numbers and then I look, what's his knockout prop? What's their submission prop? Am I getting a good number? Man, this is really wide. I have to bet this because that number just makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And... Whenever a fight gets announced, immediately, like in my head, they just announced Whitaker and Duplessis. In my head, I'm like, if, if Whitaker isn't north of minus 250, it's going to be, we need to like, oh my goodness. we need to call family members and say, we need some money to lay it on Whitaker. I mean, right? barring a first round knockout. Exactly. So again, you're going to find those ways to wager this yeah. and you're going to get a good number on Duplessis at plus money to get a first round KO. And if you've done any homework, you know his gas tank just gets Plummets. sunk. So yeah. you would take Whitaker- Later, you would assume later on. I and mean, again, the unlikely scenario is Whitaker in the first round. Now you could get it, but he should be a but big if favorite. He, if, if that if that so happens, then you take an L on it. That's right. The amount of times that I bet a fighter to win by finish and then the other fighter to win by finish because I'll get plus 300 and I'll get plus 220 and fight doesn't go to distance is minus 250. I'm like, hold on, this doesn't make sense. Right. If it goes to decision, so be it. That's I right. lose it like that, but- that's exactly you can handle how, those. yeah. And I always tell people, by the way, since we're on that topic, and you've seen crazy decisions in your day, right? And judging in MMA right now is a very inexact. Science. It's a hot button topic every single week. So all I ever tell people, and I've been on the wrong side, and I've gotten some what I consider gifts when they hit the judges' scorecards. Just you got to factor that into your handicap. If you have, if this fight, a particular fight, has a propensity to go all three or five in a main event. And you're back in the big fave, be careful oh, because yeah. that's where you're going to get burned more often than not. If I think a fight's going to go the distance and I think it's a live dog, that's where I'll be more apt to, to play the plus money there thinking, let's give you an example, uh, Sean O'Malley, right? Oh, yeah, with Peter Yan. So, like, I had O'Malley. Did I think he won the fight? No. But I know the way crowds react. I know the way judges react. And I knew the likelihood would be that it hits the cards and then I got a shot at getting a bad decision. And that's what happened there. So again, is that the right way to always handicap it? No, but you have to realistically look at popular fighters with pop, 
with crowds. Judges are human too. And sometimes they get influenced by what they hear and not necessarily always what they see. It's hard to get those people in three phone booths and watch it without being able to hear the, the reactions of the announcers or the crowd or what have you. UFC Apex, obviously, right here in Vegas, it's so quiet. You can hear Cormier calling out instructions, right? Judges, get they hear that stuff too. And sometimes that impacts, because you're human, what you may think you're actually seeing. I went to the Apex over the weekend for the first time. And that was one of the things that I was thinking about as I'm hearing the thuds and the ooh and the aahing from the crowd, which it's so intimate. That's right. That weighs a lot. And also the wildest thing, I had uh, Kel Dansby on. Mm -hmm. He has a show that he does out of here called The Corner. And he gets credentialed to a bunch of fights. And he told me a story, which was fascinating, how they also need to make these decisions in 90 seconds. When they go long, you go, what are they doing? Yeah. What's going and, on with those cards? And he's telling me about the tallies and, you know, the full circle is a complete takedown with control. The half circle is, well, Dave took Nick down, but Nick got right back up. So Was is that damage, a takedown? Right? And then before you know it, it's, well, round two starts. You're like, all right, now I got to pay attention. I can't think about what happened in round one. You got 60 seconds. And then at the end, these, these decisions, that they, to defend the judges a little bit, some of them are egregious. Nothing drives me crazier because I, I feel like I have a good understanding of what a score should be. This mm -hmm. is a 29, 28. This is 50, 45. When it's 50, 45, Sanhagen and Vera, perfect example. Whoa. I feel like that's insulting my intelligence. As, as, and as someone who had Vera by decision, mm -hmm. that was when I, I first came on, on your lovely show. I'm doing the dishes and I hear them announce the judge's name. I'm like, stop. Are they going to... We're going to get one. I, I couldn't believe it. And Sanhagen, the look in his face was like, what? Yeah. Like, who, who didn't watch that fight and knew Sanhagen dominated? But now that, now that we have criteria that says damage right. over volume, right? Sometimes that, that gives judges wiggle room to say, okay, Nick might have, you know, not hit me with 40 shots, but I hit you with three and those three really did the majority of the damage. Do you win the round that way? I mean, that it's so it's so subjective now. That's the perfect word to describe it, yeah. right? That what 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 are you seeing? And, and so that's where there is an out. And so again, when I have three people watching a fight, I can understand. I don't agree with it, but I can understand how sometimes they see it differently from the way I did. I'll just take you back. The worst boxing decision I've ever seen in my life: Manny Pacquiao against Timothy Bradley Jr. I was watching this in Washington D.C. And I'm, I got a big, I used to have big fight parties in DC and Pacquiao won 11, if not all 12 of the rounds. I went out on my balcony to keep flipping the stakes for everybody. And I remember shutting the, the glass and the uproar going on inside of my house. And then one of my best buds going, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? And they go, they gave it to, to Bradley. I, couldn't, I, I, I literally, like, I could not believe that a, a fight I just watched where I, I gave Pacquiao all 12 rounds, two of the three judges saw it a different way. That's where you go, is this all on the up and up? Like, that's what, that's, that's what you do. And sometimes judges can just see it differently that we cannot process how in the world they saw it that way. It's so weird to me, though, man. I, I hear you and I understand it, but it's very hard to defend that because I've— I've watched fights with actual UFC fighters. I've gotten really close with Eric Nixick and, and we've talked. He's the head coach of Extreme Couture and I train over at Syndicate also. And 
I see these fighters, I talk fighting with them, and they always tell me, they're like, dude, for someone that doesn't fight, you have a good understanding mm. of things. And when I hear some of those decisions and some of the scores, I feel like it insults my intelligence. It does. I'm like, there's no way. This is just, there needs to be some sort of explanation from the judges. Well, you've seen you fighters to. on Twitter, at least, or in social media, where after a fight, fighters in the UFC will say, that, that, that's just not right. Right, so they're, they're as flabbergasted so, as we some, are. Some of those, though, I take with a grain of salt because I know a lot of people have made the suggestion for a solution to be, well, why not hire former fighters to be the judges? Mm. I don't know because if, if, if I was a fighter and I end up retiring, but you were my teammate or I brought in Dave Ross to come it's and- gonna be and my boy. I'm gonna be a little biased. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. We're, it's the human element. Like Absolutely. you were talking about with the judges. So I don't think that's the, the optimal solution. I've either. heard open scoring as well. We've seen that yeah. tried in boxing uh, from time to time as well. I, I really, it's a great question, Nick, because I don't know what the right answer is to it. But again, in our space of what we do, I just tell people you need to factor in if the likelihood, and you can do this, people, when you see over two and a half on a three-round fight, you know, minus 220, the likelihood is we're anticipating this card, this fight hits the cards. If that happens, hold your breath, buckle up because mm -hmm. there is, you can see it one way and three judges can see it the other way. And if you back that big favorite, that's always my cautionary tale is I, I would not get in bed with fighters that more than likely going to go to the distance. And sometimes judges see it completely different than the way we do. Also, I feel as if decision bets or overs, the, the, it's kind of like when you bet the under in a game. You're kind of hoping for nothing to happen. You just want time to pass. You just want time to pass. And then it feels like time doesn't pass at all. It's always the best part. I do push, a lot of times I'll do push-ups during it. Like, if I get an over, I'm like, all right, if I do my, my set of 50 here, hopefully that takes up a minute and a half. I go nice and slow. <laughs> like, oh, you're doing anything you can to get the clock moving. And I always say it's like life is too short to bet unders yeah. in, in, in teams or overs uh, conversely here in MMA. But sometimes that is the right value play. A lot of times in, in, in a lot of the women's fights, right, Trish, it's much harder to get a stoppage inside of three, certainly inside of five. But I think that's why we gravitate to certainly Amanda Nunez for KO uh, propensity, Ronda in her heyday of stopping fights early. I was at UFC 196 right here in Vegas when Misha Tate submitted Holly Holm in that fifth and final round. Those are the fights that stand out to you because they don't hit the card. Yeah. Because you do get a definitive stoppage. That, that, that I always call it that one night in Melbourne when Ronda Rousey gets head kicked out by, by Holly Holm. It shook up the MMA world. So when you do see it, and I was in Chicago at the United Center, front and center for Valentina Shevchenko, the head kick. Oh my goodness. I thought Jessica I was eliminated. Yeah. Like I was con actually concerned for her safety because she didn't move for like a minute. So like when you see these dynamic women, you see it in the men's fights a lot, right? We know who the KO specialists are, the Francis Ngannou's of the world. When you get them in women's MMA, sometimes Nick, that moves me even more because it's so rare that you get these fighters that are just like, I'm not looking to get to see the cards. Yeah. I'm trying to get you out inside of three or five. Well, also what's fascinating about, fights that end in round four and five. It's, it's oh, very rare. A lot right. of finishes happen in round one or two, and that's why some of them are so memorable. Like Izzy getting stopped oh. in the fifth round, especially when you look at the live odds and he's minus 1,500 before the round starts. How about Usman the Prohoshka? Oh, oh, my, oh my God. goodness. Yeah, you, if yeah. you live bet that back and forth and we get a stoppage in the final minute of the fifth round, I mean, yeah. you just don't see that stuff. What other sports do you like to bet on? Or, or, or enjoy, too. I don't think I've ever asked you what other okay, sports are you Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. Golf. Okay. I, I, it's Not some, for me, but I, I, I for, get it. For, there's something about Sunday betting a major. 
which just, I love it. I, I mean, you got to be. I could feel the degenerate yeah, vibes just exuding from you. <laughs> like, for instance, last year at the, the, the Open, as they say over there, we call it the British Open. They call it the Open. And, I, you know, Cam Smith, you could have got Cam on the final round when Rory looks like he's going to win this thing and Rory's going to win his first major since 2014 and the narrative's already been set. And I went, you're going to give me Cam Smith here at about, I think it was eight to one. Got a fire on. And Cam Smith comes back and wins. It's, it's a great ticket to have. I've also been on the wrong side of John Rahm, who was just a wagon these days on the PGA Tour three times. I had a Louis Oosthuizen ticket about three, three, four years ago at the United States Open, 50 to one. John Rahm runs him down with the last three holes to win. That's his, his first major. I had the first big tournament this year. I had Kyle Morikawa, Vegas' own Kyle Morikawa, about 26 to one. And then John Rahm runs him down from seven down on a Sunday. And then I had this past major championship. Once again, I had Brooks Kepka 99 to one to win. The Masters, and who comes runs me? John Rahm, you owe me a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money to John Rahm. The Spaniards beat me three times. But it is fascinating because Sunday, certainly at majors, and even on the PGA Tour, it's hard to close. So, Nick, like my advice to novice golf bettors. You're talking to one right now. Don't play the favorites on Sundays. Don't lay that number. You see it more often than not that they're going to give up the lead, and you can find those good price tags at – four, five, six to one on pedigreed players, as I like to call them, on a Sunday. I don't, I'll be honest, our guys, shout out to the Long Shots crew at VEASAN, they do amazing work each and every week, trying to find those numbers for you on, on longer shots. I'm, I really shy away from pre-tournament betting. I like to get in on a Sundays. And especially if somebody like Brooks would held on to that lead at Augusta through rain delays and the whole thing, you know, held up for three rounds, didn't hold up for four. A lot of times that wears on you. You're sleeping on the lead night in, night out at big tournaments. So I like to play the longer shots on a Sunday when you give me close six to eight to one. I'm not going to go necessarily. I did grab Justin Thomas last year. I think he was 20 to one. He came back and won the PGA last year. That was because the leader at the time was a guy named Mito Pereira. And I just knew he wasn't going to hold up because Mito just didn't have the pedigree at a major. So you're giving me a pedigreed player like a Justin Thomas at 21, mm. I, a 20 to one. I couldn't resist that one cash. But it's it's just for for novice golf betters out there. If you got chasers, big names on a Sunday, and whoever's in the lead, either Brooksy isn't on the PGA Tour anymore, doesn't play, you know, four day tournaments, he plays three days. Sometimes you can find really good value on pedigree guys to run down guys that have not been in that situation that often. Damn, I love what you said about not betting pre tournament or preseason because. You're talking to someone that I don't know if you'll meet anyone that's a bigger fan of future bets. Yeah, it's fun. Love futures. I'm a big fan of, you know, a couple hundred dollars here on a nine to one, 15 sure. to one, 20 to one. And then it kind of gives me, I became a LA Rams fan that the year that they won Two it years because ago. I found once they got Stafford, I was always a big Stafford guy. And I said to myself, Man, this team is loaded. What have we been saying all these years about the Rams? They just need a quarterback. They need a quarterback. And I always felt as if he's the most underappreciated quarterback that we've seen. He's super talented. They get him, and immediately I took him at 15 to 1. Boom. And then I saw, I knew all the backups. I was like, in, I was watching them as if I watched the New York Giants, which is my team. <laughs> but what's 
What I find interesting, and my perspective has changed just a little bit because I had a friend of mine, Kenny, who I do the show with, and he's a professional better out in, in Jersey. And he said he doesn't like futures because oftentimes we handicap. Like right now, we'll be handicapping and talking about football futures where come September, come week one, we're really basing all our breakdowns and analysis on what we saw nine months ago. Yeah. And I think- And how much has changed in nine months? How big last year, I remember on the network, I'm, I'll, I'll, for people that know me, they already know this. I'm a big cowboy guy, uh, right? Big cowboy guy. I knew you had some flaws. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So last year, Nick, <laughs> I'm looking at the futures market. You could have gotten the Eagles before the draft or the A.J. Brown trade, the whole bit. They got the Eagles to win the NFC East at plus 330. Yeah. And I said on the network, I said, you got to play that. I, I'm, I'm Mr. Cowboy. Right. You got to play the Eagles because last year, going back to right where we are right now, before the draft, Howie Roseman put together a hell of a roster of 52. We didn't know about the one. Jalen Hurts, that was the question mark last year. This exactly. time, as we speak today, the question mark, is Jalen Hurts ready? And I was like, I like him. Like, I didn't know he'd be MVP level. Right. And if he doesn't get hurt, he probably wins the MVP last year. I mean, he that's how big a difference one guy made on a roster that was ready to take off. So we saw that. So I would look at those type of teams again this year and say, well, where's the weakness? Mm. What's the perceived weakness? But you better have depth. And the Eagles had a lot of depth. I even thought Gardner Minshew being the backup. And I said this this time last year. I said, if Jalen Hurts, one, isn't the guy, or two, gets hurt, can Gardner Minshew come in? They're not going to be the number one seed. Right, but, but he'll keep you afloat on a, a you know, pulled hamstring. He has to miss two, three weeks. That's right. It's not a, a massive drop-off. And I agree with you because I was big on, on the Eagles, and I want to preface by saying that there's not a franchise I hate more than the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, wow. And last year, and last year, I said that the wrong team was favored in the division when it was the Cowboys. Yep. I bet them at 30 to 1 to have the best record in the NFL. Wow. And that cashed. I, I also loved A.J. Brown. And I felt like he was the steal of the offseason. No doubt. That's a first-round pick. And you saw what that did for him. Um, I always mention how... If you are a young quarterback or you're a young organization, that's why I like Chicago this year. I've been looking at Chicago's division odds, all that, because they have a lot of similarities to what Philly was around this time last year. Way better roster, yeah. Philly, but you know they get Edmonds, 
They get Edwards, shore up the defense a little bit. Mm -hmm. I love DJ Moore. They've made significant upgrades. Right. Now, so now you could properly evaluate Justin Fields. Yes, like we did with Jalen Hurts last year. Exactly. Once you give him a Heisman Trophy winning receiver and Devonta Smith, and then you, you, you bring in A.J. Brown, now all of a sudden you go, he's got weapons. And, and I like Darnell Mooney in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, not as my number one, but now with D.J. Moore there as commanding. As a two, three. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get some more depth. I, and I think that's a really good way to handicap it. By the way, that division now, of course, it's official with Aaron Rodgers is gone. He's now officially a New York Jet. That division is wild to, to handicap because you can get the Packers now at over $3 to win the division, kind of like the Eagles this time last year. I do like the defense I thought was a major disappointment for the Packers a year ago. I don't know what the Vikings are doing, and that's why I think Hennon Hooker could be in play for a fifth quarterback to be drafted uh, Thursday in the draft because it looks like they're done with the KC8 experiment. This is the last year of his deal. Do you like the L word lock? You no. Like that word? It scares you? No. For a lock for anything? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. Minnesota Vikings under eight and a half. Pretty good bet. And it, you, you etched that on the tombstone for the Vikings in 2023. What, what, what are they? I mean, they got a dynamic play in J, player in JJ, Justin Jefferson, and it looks like they just want to punt on the season. They went 11 and 0 in one score games. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not going to happen again. No. I'm a Giants fan. I'm a little concerned about the Giants because they also, I think they were eight and two in one score games. Philly also amazing in one score games. Very different because they had an, all, like no team has ever had a season like that. So to me, Minnesota is automatic under. You can still get plus Talking money. Talking about that division. Yeah. yeah. You can get plus money in the NFC East right now, still in the Eagles. I think about plus dollar 20. Cowboys about plus dollar 80. The Giants are five to one. There's no way I'm making that bet because of what you just said. And look, Danny Dimes, he's in the fold now. Gave him a new deal, the whole bit. Saquon's upset. We don't know what's going to happen. He wants, guys want money, right? So I'm looking at the Giants as, and I like Brian Dable, don't get me wrong, but I don't think they're ready to take this next step to compete with the Eagles and the, the Cowboys to win this division. It's the Commanders. Mm. They're nine to one. They're the longest shot in the division. But if you've watched closely what Ron Rivera is doing with that defense, he's a lot of first rounders on that D line, okay? They've got skilled players now at both running back and wide receiver. The question, kind of like what we're doing this time, Sam Howell, really the guy. Is he, can he have a Jalen Hurts type season? I don't think so. Mm. I'll be very curious to see what they did. They got a middle uh, first round pick for the commanders this year, but that's a team I've been watching. And at nine to one, I actually think that might be very playable in that division. The NFC East has not had a repeat winner 20 years. since 2002. So that kind of automatically eliminates the Eagles if we're going off that. They just re-signed Jalen Hurts, speaking on him before. They check a lot of boxes for a team where I want to fade them heading into this year, right? You have the Super Bowl hangover, yeah. though it didn't work out. It worked out in favor for the Bengals that got them back to the AFC title game. So there was no hangover for them there. But they lose both of their coordinators. It screams fade to me. Miles Sanders gone. Miles Sanders gone. They lost a lot of pieces on defense. Yeah. Lose both of the coordinators. Ten and a half wins. Historically, I'm like, fade, Dave. Fade, fade, fade. But this conference is so bad. It is bad. It is so bad. And they are, <laughs> they, it's them. I'm not a, a Dallas guy from January on. Because right. my whole life, that's all I've known is 
you know, failure in the postseason. Yeah, I was wrong when they played Tampa. I was all in on Tampa, but then I won it back on San Francisco. I'm like, I know this team. They're not going to deliver. This is their MO. Yeah. I don't like that Dallas got rid of the coordinator, mm-hmm. Kellen Moore, who now is with the Chargers. And I'm a huge Justin Herbert stan. But they are one of the definitive best teams in the conference that we think sucks. I, it's like them and San Fran, you know for a fact, are playoff teams. Well, there's that's the team where you're talking about the 52 and John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, what they put together, that you trust them. Because the defense, and then you just steal defense, you know, DT from from the Eagles. I mean, we've also we've also seen Nick Mullins right. <laughs> carry them afloat. With that's a, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, this right? is Shanahan. So, and I, I covered him in DC when he was, you know, he was I was covering his dad. Mike Shanahan was head coach, and Kyle's running around with Sean McVay and you know these guys at home. Oh my God! One of my best friends, Josh, is a Commanders fan. I'm like, dude, you had them all. Anytime they show that graphic, it's like Lafleur, McVay. Shanahan, and they all left you. And Nick, when I'm telling you that those guys, Kyle was the guy then because he was, you know, daddy's kid. Right. That you knew, you know, we're going to give him some real, the other guys that are running around at that time, Redskins Park, nobody talked to him. We knew him. Hey, how you doing? But they were just young. They weren't the commodity that you wanted. They were absorbing everything from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. And I think that, that level of trust is why the Niners are still the betting favorite, which is astonishing to me. Come out of the NFC. They're going to trade Trey Lance. I think that's coming this week. So I don't mm. know what they're going to get, but you got a guy in Brock Purdy who didn't even have surgery. Are we trusting him? And then you're going to Sam Darnold. So I'm like stunned that they're still the favorites to win this conference, but it gets back to what you just hit on. The division or the conference is so weak as a whole that, I mean, there's a lot being shown in New Orleans because Derek Carr's there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where we are. So, to me, there's some real playable numbers. Even I know, like, as a Cowboy backer, I think they're playable uh, in the big picture because I just don't trust the rest of the conference. Then if you get a, a nice, you know, double-digit ticket, you can always hedge once you get into the postseason. Cowboys are going to be a postseason team. I think the Eagles are going to be a postseason team. The Niners are going to figure it out because the rest of the roster is just so good. You also trust it because you've seen it all these years. Yeah. They've earned that. They have. So, like, I'm not going to fade Kyle Shanahan, but I'm not going to play them at the shortest number to win the, the conference either. So I'm just going to watch them and observe and see what they do at the quarterback position. This week at the NFL draft is going to be utter madness. I thought the Rodgers deal got done today as we speak, Nick, because they had to make sure they knew what they were going to do, i.e., I. now that we got Rodgers in the fall, they swapped first, right? So now what are we going to do? Offensive line? Like, now we got to fill holes. So that's why you got to get some of these deals done before you get to draft day. And you will see, I think, chaos on Thursday in the first round with potentially five quarterbacks going in that first. And we got the news, which I've been trolling all my Jet buddies for Aaron Rodgers. Finally, it goes through. And the deal is Aaron Rodgers pick number 15 and a 2023 fifth round pick. That's what the Jets get. Packers get the number 13 pick this year, the 2023 second round pick mm, this year. That's basically it. The sixth round pick this year, and then a conditional second round pick that can become a first that's next right. year if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays. Now, the line for the Jets being 15-1 to one to win the Super Bowl, I think is a mistake. Even with Aaron Rodgers, hot take, Dave. 11th best team in the AFC? Woo. I mean, look, they should be excited. 
And they got a quarterback. Are they not the third best team in their division? I still think the Bills are the team to beat. And until somebody beats them with Josh Allen, it's kind of like the Pat Mahomes thing right now. Right, right, right. West, right? Until somebody beats them. The Dolphins roster is very good. We, you, everybody hopes two is okay. I mean, he flirted with retirement. But it does take a trigger man for that offense because they are built for speed. That's what Mike McDaniels has got there, right? And we got guys. We want to go. We and they wanna, just signed Anderson, right. too. We want to play. Speed. We want to play. We want to play fast. So is the Jets roster offensively as good as what the Bills have and what the Dolphins have up? No. Defensively, they've got, I mean, Quinn and Williams is a wagon. Which I think if you are pro Jets, whether it's from a betting perspective or as a fan, you got to love that. You didn't lose anyone no. in this deal. You didn't lose no running backs, still get no wide receivers. Pick. You still get the first round pick. And yes, if Rodgers is going to be that addition that, you know, basically what the other guys weren't. But in, in my eyes, as I close my eyes and I'm envisioning the AFC, can a quarterback go into Cincinnati, Buffalo, or Kansas City and beat that dude that they're going up against? And I don't know if Rodgers can do that still. Yeah, and that's why I'm not playing the Jets. And I will look, if you give me over $2 for the Bills to win the East, that's a playable number for me. Because again, we saw two years ago, he's a 13 seconds away from going to the title game, right? I mean, that's, that, that, that's where the Bills, they're not that far. I know that because what the Bengals did in the postseason to them in Orchard Park, right now they feel like everybody's kind of, ah, yeah, yeah. They're, their windows are. So that's I'm how like, I feel, by the way. Do you feel that the window is closing? Uh, I, I think, yeah. I, I, think, as, I think as long as they have Josh Allen, he's, to me, on that elite level of quarterback. And he had a bad year for his standards. I thought like, he turned it over way too much in the red zone. Can I, can, can I show love to my guy over in New York sure. as being the catalyst for why Josh Allen did not have as good a year? Oh. Why not? Dable. Oh, yeah. Right? Dable was part of the equation. Yeah. You get rid of him, and now there's more turnovers. Wasn't there a stretch of four or five weeks in a row he had a red zone turnover? Yeah, absolutely. Ken Dorsey is the coordinator there. And look, I like Sean McDermott. I know guys that played for him. Lorenzo Alexander, shout out to Zoe. I mean, Zoe told me he changed the whole culture up there. Without a doubt. Right. But I also think that Dable was a big reason for his success. And then I when agree. you parlay the fact that Daniel Jones ended up having a career year on the Dable, it's like, all right, man, look, let's we gotta we gotta show some love to to my second favorite bald guy on the planet behind <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Dable. Yeah, it's not every day that you get a guy that came out of Wyoming and the concerns were accuracy. And then somehow with Dable, he became a lot more accurate. And then with Ken Dorsey, not as accurate. So like, those are the things that you, you kind of worry about. Like I, even as a guy that has to watch Dak Prescott play 16 games a year, Dak, when he came back off his injury last year, turned it, he was a turnover machine. He was Josh Allen. So we'd thought like Allen, you'd moved on from those days. Mm. Sometimes they, they rear their ugly head, right? So if this year without Kellen Moore in, in Dallas, but I, I'm not as concerned about that. The big one for me was Dan Quinn. As long as he's there running that defense, that's really where I look. And I think 11 on the other side is one, of, if not the most dynamic defensive player in the game right now. That's where I trust the Cowboys a little bit more. I don't really focus as much, but Dak can't turn it over like that if they're going to be elite. And Josh Allen cannot turn it over like yeah. that if the Bills are going to be elite. It really is that simple for those teams. For as far as Micah Parsons goes, Without question, the best defensive player in the league. I don't care that he didn't win defensive yeah, player of the exactly. year last year. Bosa. Yeah, that's fine with me. There's not a guy that I think causes more agreed mismatches, mayhem, 
just a nightmare for everyone than him. And as someone who's a Giants fan, he puts the fear of God in me well, when they have to play him. As a Cowboy fan growing up, that was Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor. LT yeah. is the only guy, and I've talked to coaches and players that played with against for years. There was nobody that they had a singularly game plan more than a guy like LT. We're, I don't know that anybody will ever reach that level, but Micah is that guy. Well, also how versatile he is. Yes. And then the dirt stands up, guards running backs out the backfield, chases receivers down 40 yards downfield. Causing fumbles. He's he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. But as far as the Jets go, I feel as if this number is just wrong. They are a team that shouldn't be 15 to 1. You're talking about their group not that far off, Buffalo and the Bengals. And I'm looking at it, Dave, and I think it's a lot of inflation because of Rodgers, sure. and you have the New York fan base. You have a lot of the most popular sports betting apps in the country are based out of New York. They know they're going to get the public money to come on, on them almost by default. My thing is, I might be reaching by saying the, the 11th best team, but I like Jacksonville more than them. I like, obviously, Cincinnati, Kansas City. I still think I would take the Chargers over them. I'm a big fan of Pittsburgh heading into this year. I think I, they're I, a sleeping giant that everyone's kind of like, ah, oh, they're done. It's like, I don't know, man. Well, Kenny Pickett, six and one. We all wrote the off the Steelers a year ago that this is going to be the year Tomlin has a losing record. Then they don't have a losing record. I oh, mean, take it, the over on him never having every, a losing record to be mentioned on countless shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the AFC is so deep, and you just laid it out that to bet the Jets right now, I think is is you. You're not necessarily throwing your money away, but you're not getting the best of the value by any stretch. And that's that's the point that I was trying to make. And we were talking before about the NFC being so bad. It got even worse now with Rodgers leaving. And this is just even more. I wish the Jets weren't in the AFC. I wish the Chargers weren't. I wish the Broncos weren't. But this is the hand that we're being dealt. That's why people are excited. I'm even excited about Carr being in, in the Saints. I'm like, dude, he might be the... Fourth best quarterback in the conference. Like, quiet as kept. Look at Carolina. Now, we'll figure out what they do. It looks like they're going to go Bryce Young. But you get Miles Sanders, whatever you thought of him, out of, out of Philly. And you look at the young defense that when Matt Rule was there, look at the drafts. Mm-hmm. They went defense. They have got some real playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. I'm trying to identify teams because I look at three teams in the NFC right now that I think are playoff teams. Two in the East, Dallas and Philly, and the Niners out West. And then everything else is up for grabs. So I'm looking, for, I'm looking for value. And I think you can find some on teams like potentially Carolina. They're going to walk into eight wins because the division isn't very good, right? They've got a chance that if you get good plus money, maybe three to one to be a playoff team, I'd look at that. There are ways that you can really look at the NFC and find teams that you're not talking about now that we will be talking about come December because you got to fill up those slots, right? The AFC, man, it is so hard to break into that hierarchy that you just laid out. So even though I've got hopes for, say, the Raiders, 12-1 to win the West, Jimmy G is there now, good luck. I mean, the division is, is a gauntlet, let alone the conference. Yeah, I think I would save my money on that Raider one, yeah. though. It's a long shot at best. Last thing I want to end the show with is over the weekend, I had a realization that I don't think I love football. I think I love NFL football. <laughs> Because, dude, yesterday I'm on the couch and I'm scrolling through ESPN and I see there's an XFL game, seeing USFL, and I'm talking about like two plays and I was just... You're not watching Ben DiNucci? Not at all. That's your guy. He helped you win a a game. Absolutely. (laughs) 
But yeah, that was my realization. I'm not a college sports fan at all. I get trolled for that by uh, Jeremiah, who's over here at the studio. And a lot of my buddies back home, they're like, dude, you got to. I'm like, I don't like it. I don't like college yeah, sports. You're I don't watching like the Ohio State Georgia national semifinal. You weren't enthralled? I was watching that where it's like for the championship and the final four. But I just don't throughout the regular season for, for anything but the NFL. I cannot. I cannot consider. You know. I've got a really good buddy of mine, one of my best friends, Tyler Fulgham over at ESPN. He and I have had this debate about college basketball. He's like, I, I just don't get into college basketball because I want to watch the best players and that's in the NBA. And I understand that. But I always say, I am riveted week in, week out by college football. Look, I, I am old school. I think four is the right number because it does put a level of importance on every single regular season game. And that's why I'm captivated by a Michigan-Ohio State game each and every year. I do want to see if the Big Tens can match up with the SECs and the sleepy Pac-12s and all this. The conferences are changing so dramatically now where you're going to have the UCLAs and the USCs playing in you know, the Big 12. I mean, it's insane. So those days are gone where you're going to go, uh, maybe I'll just wait and see what the playoffs look like and, and see who the SEC is. And that's going to be it's, the landscape of college football is it's the wild, wild west. And that, that does intrigue me a little bit, Nick, because I do want to see what this realignment looks like. What these, you know, we're so used to seeing, you know, USC, UCLA's out West, and then they kind of, they're asleep. Now, with, they're going to be playing Oklahoma, and they're going to be playing Texas. And you are going to get some unique matchups that we have not seen and would not have seen unless you saw them in bowl matchups. So there still is intrigue for me. But if you're talking about the level of competition, I get it. I think the product is so right. bad. That's a fair Sometimes debate. it's just unwatchable for me. Where I, I was watching March Madness, and then you see teams go on 11-minute scoring droughts. It's How do you guys like this stuff? Well, you see, to me, like, they're, the, the... Do you think it's because I'm not from a traditional big... Like, uh, I was telling you before we started recording how in New York City, what do we have, St. John's now? Yeah, it was cool. Like growing up, I was a little bit more into it because you'd have the Big East, right? Syracuse and Georgetown. Oh, and, now you're speaking my language. And UConn. And we would go to the games. You'd buy tickets for like $10 and you'd be there and watch a couple of games. That I, I get. But we never had a team like if you grew up in Alabama, you right. had a team that you rooted for and you cared about. I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a New York City thing because the only kids that I know, Dave, that are into college sports are also guys that... My buddy Eric graduated from UConn, loves college sure. sports. My buddy Bolsher, I was telling you, Syracuse alumni. So I, I went to VCU, Virginia Commonwealth. We went to the Final Four in 2011. And like that, that sustains you for your whole life. Like it, it does kind of, I think, change the way you look at it. I grew up in upstate New York and Syracuse, I am died in the wool Syracuse fan, even though my money went to VCU. And people would always ask, oh, who would you root for? If VCU played Syracuse, I go, probably Syracuse. But wow. like, but like that's, that's how. In, just it was Jim Beheim, it was Syracuse, it was the Big East, it was John Thompson at Georgetown, and it was these rivalries and Louis Carnesecca at St. John's, and you know these these wars at Madison Square Garden. That's what I grew up on in the '80s, and there will never be. And I well, I watched the NBA playoffs, and you know there will never be anything better to me than '80s basketball in the Big East. It was just different level. It was put on your big boy shoes and get ready to have a hand fight at a basketball game. And I loved it. They, they switched the rules back then to six fouls to, to an NBA rule because they didn't want Patrick Ewing to foul out, right? It was like, that's, that's how physical that brand of basketball was played by kids. 
famous 30 for 30 Lots. on, on the baby. Cry. I cried. A grown man cried watching a documentary because that was my childhood. Yeah. That's the basketball I grew up on and I just loved it. And you know, like pro Washington is forever. My favorite college basketball player of all time, New York city. He goes plays with Jim, Jim Beheim and Syracuse. And it's just like the fight literally in a fist fight with Patrick Ewing at Madison square garden. They had an enforcer back then named Michael Graham. And if you, as a kid, if you know the name Michael Graham, you go, oh, like that was like a fighter who played basketball. That's how physical that brand of basketball was. I don't know that we'll ever get back to it. And I know some people go, 80s NBA, why would you want to see the bad boy Pistons? Yeah. Like, why do you want to, what, what, what's enjoyable about that? How, I go, how good was a, a 69-74 final score? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, you see Jeff Van Gunny grabbing on to, you know, Morning's leg in a fight at New York City at the Garden. I mean, those days are gone. And you're right. The brand of basketball is like Steph Curry is he changed basketball the way Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar changed basketball. And it might not be as noticeable, but it's subtle. Oh, no, I think it is very noticeable. I think he's the most influential basketball player of all time. Totally and agree. I know this sounds a little ignorant because I haven't watched all the basketball that has gone by, but if you just look at what the NBA is now and the the hope that a kid that is you know, six foot and isn't because LeBron James, he's six, eight, no matter how hard I try, Dave, I can't be six, eight, but I can try to be a good shooter. Well, everyone can shoot. The, the influence I, of, of a Steph is like a, it's like European players that come over here that are seven footers and shooting threes. Yep. Like the Jokic's of the world. Right. I don't know that we would have ever seen that or allowed the opportunity to see that if somebody didn't change it like Steph did. I think the Euro guys, though, at that size, I would lean more towards Dirk. Dirk, yeah. Dirk, seven-footer, win a title. And that predates Steph, too. Right. Right. So that was the first sea change. But now when you watch the NBA, games, games could become unwatchable because one of two things happen. You either make your threes or you don't. And that's the difference between a 20-point win or loss. Now, on the flip side, the cool thing about it is your team's never really out of it. If right. they could just get hot. Well, Denver was down 12 last night with two minutes to go. Yeah. They knocked, down, th overtime. They, they knocked down three threes and won a 12-0 run in the game. Three of those were threes. And one of them was Jokic. And then the I think the other two, I'm trying to think uh, off the top of my head. Oh, it was uh, uh, Mur uh, not Murray. It was uh, Michael Michael Porter, a junior. He knocks down two threes. Is, how big is he? Six, eight? Yeah. He's shooting them like it's, like it's a layup. Like but that's how much the game's changed. That's the, and, and that all has started, I really think between the, the early stages of it were the Steve Nash sons mm. with D'Antoni. They were the first ones where Great they should call. shoot a bunch of threes and no one had ever seen anything like that where you had all these guys just making threes and they were playing so up-tempo. I remember just betting overs even at a young age. Like, oh, these games are going over, like for sure. And then that transitions into Golden State yeah. and the Splash Brothers. And now everyone needs to hit threes at a high percentage or at least be a volume team that's going to shoot a lot of threes. And it's a gift and a curse because the product could become so unwatchable sometimes where it's a 30-point blowout. And then you look at the box score. You can look at a box score and say, oh, yeah, they went 22 of 60 from three. That's 66 points right there. That's just right. off that one shot that they're making. It is, it is a complete sea change. But I always say that what is, what is old will be new again in some respects. I don't think we'll ever go back to Ewing, Olajuwon, you know, back to the basket type guys. But look at Anthony Davis, what he's doing now for the Lakers. He's playing down low because you don't have many guys that play down low and he's dominating, right? 
So when you do have a guy like that, that's where it becomes apparent that it's still important. And bead with the Sixers. Absolutely. Like, you know, if, if Davis knocks down a three and I'm, def- I go, great. I want Anthony Davis shooting threes if I'm playing against him. Right, right, right. Yeah, he can make them, but at what rate? But when he's down low, he's going to be garbage guy. He's going to be low, low post machine. You dump it in, good luck stopping him. So that's where the difference is. The college football to the NFL yeah, you don't get skill. Like, you get some skill at the college level, and you see it. And certainly in the tournament, I think it comes out, right? And you see that in mid-major teams. It's harder to find that. Like, Northwestern, and being in Chicago for eight years, watching what Pat Fitzgerald's got to deal with, the talent he gets there, and to somehow make that team a bowl team. And to win, that's really good coaching. So you can find it there, because there are different kids at different schools that you're not going to get the same thing. Basketball, man, I can, most mid-majors, they could be as good as the Gonzagas or the Alabamas or you, you name it, right? But in college football, it's harder because the Blue Bloods are still the Blue Bloods. They're going to Ohio State. They're going to Michigan. They're going to Alabama. They're going to Georgia. It's harder to find those type of, that's why in college football, it really feels like the cream rises to the top. In college basketball, it's more of a crapshoot because everybody can shoot the three now. And so you see teams that you might not think as blue bloods. And we didn't see any blue bloods in the final four this year. College football, it's still Georgia. It's still Bama. It's still Ohio State. It's still Michigan. Yeah, because the name alone is going to get people to want to go there. Yep. I always used to make the case when, because I loved Andrew Luck at Stanford. That was the first time, Dave, in my life where I finally understood a draft process and I watched someone in college because a friend of mine, uh, Devin Kajust, he was the tight end for, for Stanford, and he, he was from the Queens area. So he would always tell us, he's like, yo, I, this kid is... Different level. It's unbelievable. And he was, what, 19, 20 when it was happening? Suck for luck. So I started, I started following that, and I was like, there's no way this guy's going to suck. Like, there's no way. I was like, I'm not on ESPN. I'm not on any talk show. I don't do any recruiting, but I could just tell, like, this guy's going to be amazing. But the reason why I bring that up is because I always you would say how schools like Stanford to be competing for a Pac-12 or... You know, they had a couple of stretches where they might have, oh, they might be a Final Four. I don't know if the college playoff was around then, but no. it's like, dude, that's impressive. Kevin Shaw being there, that's impressive to well, me because, first of all, Stanford, you need grades to go in there. They're not shaving your GPA because you're a five-star That's recruit. what I was alluding to. It's harder at Northwestern. It's, yeah, you Northwestern. Those are tough example. academic schools. I, By the way, inside uh, politics, a little bit on this one. So 2012, I believe it is, uh, Stanford's playing Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. My good buddy, Dave Feldman, I worked with him for years in uh, D.C. He went to high school with Bill Pito and Jim Harbaugh, but in the same basketball team. So he says, hey, we're going to South Beach. We're going to go hang out with Jim before the game. So it's me, Dave Feldman, Jim Harbaugh, six hours before the kicking off, the Andrew Luck team against Tyrod Taylor and Virginia Tech. And my coach, nice to meet you. He's like, yeah. And he's got the hat on, intense. <laughs> I mean, he is full Harbs. I just pictured him doing that, too. Full Harbs. They kicked the snot yeah. out of the Hokies. I'm sitting next to Oliver Luck. He's in the stands with me and Feldy, right? And then we go back for the after party. They got stacks of pizza boxes at South Point. Andrew Luck's just one of the guys, one of the kids. And they're just chumming down pizza all night. And I'm sitting there having a, a cocktail with my buddy Feldy and Jim Harbaugh just talk, and now he's cool as can be. Just, just, it's like, how did I end up at this table? And you realize how important 
certain coaches are. To serve. Jim Harbaugh has done a remarkable job at Michigan. Mm -hmm. No matter what they say, he won a national championship. He's been in the college football playoff the last two years. He's been in Ohio State the last two years. He's winning the Big Ten. Coaching at the college level is paramount. It is. It's why Saban is Saban. It's why back in the day, Steve Spurrier, what he meant to Florida. But you right. don't think it's hard, though, for people to win championships? Like, why is it a knock that you didn't win a championship? I, I go, well, think about what Michigan was before when they had Brady Hoke, before you had Jim Harbaugh. Like, do you like this better or do you like that better? Like, it's hard. Like, I don't understand. It's the one thing that has changed for me the most as I've gotten older as a sports fan, and I always reiterate this. It is hard to win a championship, especially working with Will Blackman and talking. Yeah. We did a show he together. Knows. And I would always tell him, I'm like, dude, there's, this, this could be the number one podcast in the world. If we just record the conversations we're having outside of the podcast about the, the business side of football and how you need the owner to be competent and oh, then the man. GM and then the head coach. And then you need all 53 of your guys to be healthy because why is it a bad thing if, you know, I'm, let's look at LeBron, for example. He gets slaughtered for, ha for being, what, four and seven in the finals or four and six? And it's like, is it, a, is it a bad thing to make the finals and lose? Or would you prefer him to just get bounced in the first round? Right. As a Knicks fan, I would do wild, weird things imagine? to make the NBA finals. Well, and that's why you, know, you go back to, what, 94 when the Knicks were in the final against the Rockets and they didn't get it done, but they came that, that close. That's why those teams, you're going to remember those teams because they took you someplace they hadn't been since the 70s, right? So I look at it and I go, it is really hard to win one. Yeah. Let alone six for MJ with, with, with the Bulls, right? Or now LeBron's, if, you know, LeBron and the Lakers win this year, I do think he can revisit some of those conversations if he does it with another team, with a third. You, you win with, you've done it with the Lakers, the, the uh, Cavs, and the Heat. You win this one because the bubble does have an asterisk it does. feel to it, it right? It does. For Whether sure. you, you think it should or not, it does have that kind of feel. You do it this year, there's a play-in team. You, like that, that means something. And to do it at his age, I, I covered Michael Jordan in D.C. Well past his prime. It was electric. Absolutely electric. People look at it and they, they, they laugh at it for those that didn't experience it. I go, it was amazing yeah. to be in D.C. and have Michael Jordan throwing up 40 at 40. I mean, like, I witnessed all that. So when you see these greats, I don't, I don't want LeBron to retire. I want him to be as great as he can for as long as he can. Because we want to push out these people like that. Enjoy them while you can. Legends don't come across... You don't come across them very often. And when you do in the sports world, cherish them. Like Adesanya in, in MMA, is he the greatest middleweight of all time? I think now after what he did to Bahari, he can certainly make the case. I don't want these rush these guys away. I want to enjoy the greats because they're not going to be around for very much longer. So, I don't know if you were there when GSP beat Bisping to win the middleweight crown. Mm -hmm. You witnessed one of the greatest accomplishments you're ever going to see. And then he retired. Yeah. We've never seen him again. What a way to go out. How many greats in any sport go out like GSP did? Very rare. Very small group. I mean, even, even Brady. I felt like Brady should have retired after they lost to the Rams in the playoff. Because think about, think about how poetic that would have been. They're down three scores in the fourth quarter. Oh, he what brings them back, ties the game. Then Cooper Cup and Stafford hit on that iconic play. But if you're Brady, you're saying to yourself, look, I won a Super Bowl in Tampa. I did it without Bill. Right? We got oh, you already that won little, that, that debate, yeah. chicken or yeah. the egg. We, 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 we win that. We buried that one for yeah. certain. But then the lasting image of me is I just did the Brady thing again. 
But, you know, they just had more time on the clock. Yeah, I, I to me, I, if Brady came back, I know everybody would freak out if he came back again. I'd be like, sweet. Let's see if he can do it again. I mean, I don't think he can, but let's see it. If you, if you really still think you got something left in the tank, I never, this is one of my adages I've had for wherever I've been, I will never retire athletes. I won't. One, because I've never played at their level. And two, I want to keep doing what I, what I enjoy for as long as I can. Yeah. I love being a broadcaster. I hope I can do it for 40 more years, if I, God willing, if I could. Brent Musburger, I mentioned him earlier. Brent's still doing our shows. It's an honor to hear people like that, that have that type of wisdom experience. And longevity. It, longevity. And they've done it. Yeah. So I'm not going to retire LeBron. I'm not going to retire Brady. I'm not going to retire. When you're ready to go out, so be it. You've earned, I believe, the right to go out in your terms. But in the sports world, it's rare to go out in the terms like a, a George St. Pierre that we mentioned, because normally they're going to retire you before you can retire the sport. He is at D Ross sports on Twitter. He is the host of V first strike and maybe your, your best accomplishment, a veteran six years, Marine Corps. Ura. Let's go. I weighed a uh, 111 pounds. Bro. Stop. 111 twisted steel and sex appeal. Jesus. 111. Yeah, do you even remember 111? Fifth grade, sixth grade. I don't even know if that's heavy. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the my only weight I remember vividly is my senior year of high school because when I graduated in 09, the first week after graduation, I went up to Buffalo State and they took height yeah. and weight and you know all that 182. So I always say my playing weight in high school was 180. 180. I just say 180. 180. So we'd have to trim you down to about what a buck fifty-five get you in the lightweight division. Yeah, but probably gonna avoid that too with those psychos and savages. Uh, when you see when you saw a veterans minimum, yeah. did you did you think veteran at all? Because I get that all the time. First thing I thought. Really? Oh yeah, that's where my mind goes as a veteran. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I let so many people down when they find out I'm not. I'm like, look, it's a it's a play on words in the sports world. If you're a sports fan, yeah. you understand an athlete at the tail end of their career, they still want to play the game. Udonis Haslam, right? Amazing. Signs for the veterans minimum. Every league has a minimum, the veterans minimum, and it lets me cover all these different sports I'll as opposed this, so to being one. As a veteran, if I had access to this show back when I was in the Corps, I would have been listening every day. Sports are a great outlet for a lot of veterans. So I know that personally. Firsthand, it's uh, it's the barbershop for a lot of the military people. When you're overseas and you got a lot of time to kill, you're talking sports. So I appreciate it. We And we do as veterans. I can speak for them. I know they do too. Let's go. I love it. We'll end the show on that. At Nick Day is 10, as you can find me, veteransminimum.com, as you can find all things VM. Check out Dave's show, First Strike. You might even see the boy on there every You'll now and then. A couple surprises. It was an honor to have you in here on my show and we get to chop it up. And I learned a lot about you too, man. It was really dope. So thank you for your time and hopefully we do this again down the road. Absolutely, Nick. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. With his medicine, nobody better than Nicky Sticks and his element. I'm a gold medalist, bronze like your medalist. So many deer in headlights, but it's bedtime. Hear that supper bell, main course, beat of venison. Zab, the most dangerous game. Either kill or be killed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.